0: All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton. It is Monday, so we are standing in the confessional corner. This week, finishing up our trek through Apology Article 24 on the Mass. This week, particularly paying attention to the end of it, where he talks about specifically the Mass for the dead. Now, let's jump right into it. Paragraph 89. Our adversaries have no references and no command from Scriptures for defending the use of the ceremony for freeing the souls of the dead. Yet they receive unlimited revenue from this. Certainly it is no light sin to establish such services in the church without God's command and without the example of Scripture and to apply the Lord's Supper to the dead. It was set up for commemoration and preaching among the living. This violates the second commandment by abusing God's name. First, it dishonors the gospel to hold that a ceremony by the outward act without faith is a sacrifice reconciling God and making satisfaction for sins. It is a horrible saying to assign as much importance to the work of a priest as to Christ's death. Again, sin and death cannot be overcome except by faith in Christ. As Paul teaches, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, Romans 5.1. Therefore, the punishment of purgatory cannot be overcome by applying to one person the work of another. Right off the bat, Melanchthon goes on and says, There is no reference in Scripture, no command from God, nothing anywhere talking about taking the Lord's Supper and using its benefits on behalf of the dead to free them from purgatory. It's in parentheses in the Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, but it is the heart of this matter. It was set up for commemoration and preaching among the living. It is not just a commemoration, not just a memorial. It is also preaching. It is preaching that faith through the visible sign of the bread and wine and the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, right there for you for the forgiveness of sins. And it dishonors God's name and abuses it to hold that the ceremony, just doing the action without faith reconciles you to God. That without faith in what you are doing, that you make God happy how does that work because the israelites throughout the old testament thought that baal and yahweh a lot of times were the same person they were just different names we just have a different understanding but baalism and yahwism was not the same as lutheran and roman catholic and southern baptist and dutch reformed and Methodist and Christian church and you know pick your denomination throughout Christianity we at least have the same core identity that we are people who have been saved by Jesus that's different from everything else in every other type of religion salvation by Jesus the names may change and we may have differences and some stark differences as you have seen and as I am covering in my Sunday morning Bible class on the formula of Concord, and when we get to that in, oh, probably two, three years, we'll see that full force. But right now, the idea that you can pick out how you can reconcile God, it has never been seen as a good idea. But again, And again, people seek to do it. And especially in the Roman Church, it becomes a great moneymaker to try to do it. Picking up in paragraph 90. Now we will leave out the sort of references about purgatory that the adversaries have, what kind of punishments they think there are in purgatory, what grounds the doctrine of satisfactions has, which we have shown above to be most empty. We will only present the following in opposition. Certainly the Lord's Supper was set up because of the pardon of guilt. It offers the forgiveness of sins, where it is necessary that guilt be truly understood. Yet it does not make satisfaction for guilt. Otherwise, the Mass would be equal to Christ's death. The pardon of guilt can be received only through faith. Therefore, the Mass is not a satisfaction, but a promise and sacrament that require faith. Certainly all godly persons should be seized with the bitterest grief if they consider that the greater portion of the Mass has been transferred to the dead and to satisfactions for punishments. This banishes the daily sacrifice from the Church. This is the kingdom of Antiochus, who transferred the most beneficial promises about the pardon of guilt and about faith to the emptiest opinions about satisfactions. This pollutes the Gospel and corrupts the use of the sacraments. Paul said that these persons are guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. 27. They have hindered the doctrine about faith and the forgiveness of sins, and under the appearance of satisfactions have devoted the Lord's body and blood to sacrilegious profit. At some, at some time they will pay the penalty for the sacrilege. Therefore we and all godly consciences should guard against approving the abuses of the adversaries. So he says we're not even going to talk about all the things they add in with purgatory and satisfactions and all the vain emptiness that they set it up on. Kind of like the one book written in the, I believe, late 90s, Feet Firmly Planted in Midair. It's exactly where the standing and the doctrines of the Roman Church on the Mass for the Dead, on satisfactions, stand on top of absolutely nothing to corroborate and back them up. But in paragraph 92, he says, Let us return to the matter. The Mass is not a satisfaction, either for punishment or for guilt, without faith. Therefore, applying it to the dead is useless. There is no need here of a longer discussion. Clearly, these applications for the dead have no references from the Scripture. Neither is it safe without the authority of Scripture to set up forms of worship in the Church. If it is ever necessary, we will speak at greater length about this entire subject. Why should we now argue with adversaries who misunderstand sacrifice, sacrament, the forgiveness of sins, and faith? Again, the rhetorical question, why should we continue on? And the Melanchthon continues on. But, listen to the question again at the end of that paragraph. Why should we now argue with the adversaries who misunderstand sacrifice, who misunderstand the sacrament, who misunderstands the forgiveness of sins, who misunderstand faith. I mean, we're talking about some of the most basic things in the teaching and the doctrine of Holy Communion. Melanchthon picks up in paragraph 93, "...the Greek canon does not apply the, their offering as a satisfaction for the dead, because it applies it equally for all the blessed patriarchs, prophets, and apostles." Apparently, the Greeks make an offering as thanksgiving and do not apply it as satisfaction for punishments. Furthermore, they do not speak of offering solely the Lord's body and blood, but of the other parts of the Mass, namely prayers and thanksgiving. After the consecration, they pray that it may benefit those who partake it. They do not speak of others. Then they add, Yet we offer to you this reasonable service for those having departed in faith, forefathers, fathers, patriarchs, prophets, apostles. Reasonable service, Romans 12, 1, however, does not mean the offering itself, but prayers and all things that are preferred here. Regarding the adversaries quoting the fathers about the offering for the dead, we know that the ancients speak of prayer for the dead, which we do not ban. We disapprove of applying the Lord's Supper for the dead by the outward act. The ancients do not favor the adversaries regarding the outward act. Even though they have the references, especially of Gregory or the moderns, we hold up to them the most clear and certain scriptures. There is a great diversity among the fathers. They were men and could err and be deceived. If they were alive now and would see their sayings assigned as falsehood for the scandalous lies that the adversaries teach about the outward act, they would interpret themselves far differently. Again, this becomes an idea later on that, Luther has to say in one of his last books that people may say after my death, oh, if he were here, he would say things differently because he had not thought it out. He says, no, no, no. I have thought out everything clearly. I have reasoned everything out that I have taught. And I will stand by it in front of the judgment seat of Christ. And that's exactly what each of us need to do in our confessional subscription is to be able to stand upon it even before the people in our families, the people in the government, because ultimately we have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, this is what I believe, teach, and confess. And if it works with Jesus and has him as the center and lines up with the scriptures, great. If it does not, There's a problem, and again, because at that point you'll be at the judgment seat, whether you'll be dead or it'll be the last day when Jesus has come back and has taken you into the judgment, there is no second chance. That's always been the problem with the mass for the dead is that they're dead. I mean, they can't do anything about their situation. They have been judged. There's nothing you or I can do to change that judgment we must focus upon ourselves and our loved ones to make sure that we are following Christ and the Scriptures. Now, while we do not allow the offering of the Mass for the dead, we do allow for prayer for the dead because we do have prayers for those who have died, and we have prayers not that they may have had a change of heart at the last moment but that they may be at peace because in this world there is no peace but we pray for them to have the peace of the faith that they professed on this earth and we pray for the joyful reunion that we will have on that last day or when we die that we may all be in heaven together celebrating with the Lamb at his feast. And Melanchthon says there is great diversity among the fathers because they're men. They had their own opinions. They could be wrong, just like all of us. We can all be wrong. You can take offense to anything I say in this podcast. And if you can show me where I am wrong, let me know. Send me an email. Put up a comment on the facebook page to this or just let me know and we can talk about it because i have no problem talking about if i may or may not be wrong maybe i misspoke because there are so many times i trip over my own words doing this podcast but i bring it to you live and raw so that you may see that this is not some great big production And show that I am trying to put on. I am simply coming to you to give you the goods of the confessions, to give you the goods of the Psalms as we dig deeper into them. All right, paragraph 96 through the end, all the way through to the end in paragraph 99. The adversaries also falsely quote against us the condemnation of Arius, who they say was condemned for denying that an offering is made for the living and the dead in the Mass. They often use this clever turn, quote the ancient heresies and falsely compare our cause with them to crush us by this comparison. Epiphanius declares that Arius maintained prayers for the dead are useless. He finds fault with us. We do not favor Arius either, but we do argue with you because you defend a heresy that clearly conflicts with the prophets, apostles, and holy fathers. This heresy is that the mass justifies by the outward act that when applied it merits pardon of guilt and punishment even for the unjust if they do not present an obstacle. They object to these deadly errors which divert people from the glory of Christ's passion and entirely overthrow the doctrine about the righteousness of faith. In the law, the godless had a similar belief. That is, they believed they merited the forgiveness of sins not freely through faith but through sacrifices by the outward act. Therefore, they increased these services and sacrifices, set up the worship of Baal in Israel, and even sacrificed in the groves in Judah. Therefore, the prophets condemned this belief and war against not only the worshipers of Baal, but also other priests who made sacrifices ordained by God with this godless belief. Look at 1 1 Kings 18 for that. This belief that such services and sacrifices atone remains and always will remain in the world. Carnal people cannot tolerate that the honor of an atoning sacrifice belongs solely to Christ's sacrifice because they do not understand the righteousness of faith. Rather, they assign equal honor to the rest of the services and sacrifices. The godless priest in Judah held a false belief about such sacrifices. Baal worship even continued in Israel. Nevertheless, a church of God was there that objected to these godly services, First 1 Kings 19.18. Baal worship remains in the realm of the pope, the abuse of the mass. By it, they think they can merit the pardon of guilt and punishment for the unrighteous. It seems that this Baal worship will persist as long as the reign of the pope. It will continue until Christ comes to judge and by the glory of his return destroy again the reign of the Antichrist, Second Thessalonians 2, 1-8. Meanwhile, all who truly believe the gospel should condemn these wicked services. Against God's command, they were created to cloud over Christ's glory and the righteousness of faith. We have briefly said these things about the Mass for the following reasons. First, we hope that all good people everywhere understand that we keep the dignity of the Mass and show its true use with the greatest zeal. Second, our reasons for disagreeing with the adversaries are most just. Further, we would encourage all good people not to help the adversaries in the profanation of the Mass, burdening themselves with other people's sin. This is an important cause and an important subject, no less important than the work of the prophet Elijah who condemned the worship of Baal. We have presented this important discussion with the greatest restraint and now reply without using abusive words. But if the adversaries push us to collect all kinds of abuses of the Mass— we will not present the discussion with such toleration. All right, very much talk about Baal worship and Elijah, especially talking about the battle on Mount Carmel in First Kings eighteen between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, because that is the point of all the gods of all the religions of the law, is that we make atonement for ourselves by the things we do we don't need faith we just need to do enough good deeds i mean after all that is the way baal worship worked that's the way asherah worked that's the way islam works that's even the way judaism works that among the jews that still consider that there will be a personal messiah coming it will only happen when all the Jews everywhere in the world keep the Sabbath perfectly. That's never going to happen, and it's never been even an option for God saying that. Oh no, no, now I'm not sending my Messiah until you guys shape up. Because we would never be ready. We would never be good enough. This is why. He gives us the Mass in the first place. This is why the sacrifice of Jesus is the one atoning sacrifice for all sin. And faith in that sacrifice is what brings about forgiveness. Faith in that sacrifice gives us consolation in our grief, in our worry, in our pain that we may see the great work of God in our lives because that great work centers around the cross of Jesus and everything else that we do in this life whether it's in church or in the public state or even in our personal homes and personal lives everything should revolve around Christ his life his death and his resurrection and that is what strengthens us to wrestle with the theologies around us. That's what strengthens us to carry on, even when it seems bleak. That's all for this week. I thank you for being here. Be back Thursdays for Digging Deeper. Wednesdays, join me for Pro Wrestling America, the greatest fantasy wrestling league on the Internet. And then also for all the different programming that's on here, the moments of meditation, the sermons from our Savior. Be here for all of it because all of it is here to help strengthen you, to help ground you in Christ and Him crucified so that you may wrestle with the theologies around you. Amen.